Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Query, Kevin Bowen, Mark Dykton, the other two voices you hear on this program on a Friday. Happy Friday to you. Hope you are set for... A fun and or relaxing weekend. The no relaxation for the Indianapolis Colts, Kevin, when it comes to rounding out or not even rounding out, but I guess bolstering their coaching staff. We now know that they have a head coach in Shane Steichen, the offensive coordinator from Philadelphia. But he now has to put together the staff below him, and that would begin below him probably comes out the wrong way, but you get what I'm saying. Um, first question mark Kevin is offensive coordinator right yeah and I am um, well you could argue certainly you know defensive coordinator some other spots that might be a little bit higher on the but, list but we kind of know who that's going to be right yeah I, I think the assumption is it's Gus Bradley again we'll see how the process plays out with that Bubba Ventrone of course special teams coordinator I, I guess for offensive coordinator Jake what would you be looking for would you be looking for Play calling experience, just in case Shane Steichen gets to a point where, like Nick Sirianni, he gets halfway through year one and says, ah, I want to give up these duties, and I want somebody on the staff that has done it before and I trust. Let me begin by saying this. Have you noticed that apparently everybody on Nick Sirianni's staff looks the same? It does look like they're made in a lab. Really? I, I feel like Shane Steichen and Jonathan Gannon looks... Well, I, I, they look identical to one another, right? At least like cousins or something. They're like, can we get like thin thirty-seven-year-old guys, please? <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I get, I get, I can see that for sure. I, Eric Bieniemy, Kevin, and this is my question for you: Is it going to be difficult for the Colts to bring in an offensive coordinator for this reason? Eric Bieniemy has been the offensive coordinator in Kansas City for quite a while now. And I think a large part of why Eric Bieniemy is still the offensive coordinator in Kansas City and is not a head coach somewhere is because everybody knows that Eric Bieniemy is not the offensive coordinator that is calling the plays. Andy Reid is doing that. Shane Steichen is on record of saying, I'm going to be the one calling the plays in Indianapolis. Does that give hesitation to aspiring offensive coordinators to take that job, knowing that that puts on them the same glass ceiling that Eric Bieniemy is working under? Oh, certainly. Yeah. I mean, the responsibilities here are not as immense as the responsibilities elsewhere. It's why Eric Bieniemy would not take the OC job here, as Eric Bieniemy looks to take offensive, an offensive coordinator job somewhere else. But, I, you know, I guess if I were Steichen, that would be something that I would have to ponder. It's do I want someone in that role that has had play calling experience? Again, I don't think that he will go down that path or make that an absolute prerequisite because, again, he has called plays now in each of the last four seasons in the NFL. Nick Sirianni had never called plays before he took the job in Philadelphia. I think what you would be looking for is you'd be looking for someone that is not afraid to challenge you, is not afraid to be a different personality. I thought the Frank Reich-Nick Sirianni relationship here worked well because they were two different personalities. And I would say more than anything, Jake, what you want out of this new coordinator is to have history in developing young quarterbacks. You know, that was probably the biggest con to hiring a Brian Callahan from Cincinnati was while he worked with great quarterbacks, the development aspect wasn't necessarily... There, I mean Joe Burrow to an extent, but you know the other three quarterbacks and Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr and Peyton Manning, all pretty established, and that's who he'd worked with. Whereas Steichen, of course, has it with Justin Herbert, had it with Jalen Hurts as well. Um, so I think those are some traits that I would be looking for. Uh, the two names that we have seen so far, I believe the Colts have requested to interview both of these. Um, Jim Bob Cooter, who has been here before, um, he was an assistant kind of late in the Caldwell era, um, 38 years old, most recently with Jacksonville. And I think that's where I circled the resume of, okay, 
was just with Trevor Lawrence down there. He was Jacksonville's passing game coordinator. He does not call the plays in Jacksonville. If you look at their staff, he probably would fall kind of third in line. Doug Peterson, Press Taylor, and then him. Press Taylor, a former Reich assistant, a former Peterson assistant, was actually in Indy for a year and now is in Jacksonville. But he would be a name to watch. Jake, he actually has called plays. He was in Detroit with Caldwell, and Detroit had a lot of success. I mean, we kind of forget about the Jim Caldwell-Detroit era. That was actually successful for the Lions, and Jim Bob Cooter was the OC there, and Matthew Stafford had some of his best seasons there. So I'll be curious to see how that one plays out. Um, T. Martin is the name that yesterday I heard people may be saying to themselves, when I when I saw the name T. Martin, the first thing that I'm, my brain immediately went T. Higgins. They're the only T's I know, I think. But uh, T. Martin, I think you had mentioned a national championship quarterback, Kevin. He's like one of those great trivia questions because – People often forget that Tennessee won the national championship the year after Peyton Manning left, and it was T. Martin that kind of slid into that role, right? And was that the first BCS national championship? That might be right. Yeah. I think that was like the other T. Martin trivia question. You, know, His resume, Jake, as a coach is very extensive college-wise. He currently is with the Ravens as their wide receivers coach, uh, but he was at Tennessee – was at USC as well. And this is kind of another element that I think you're seeing some NFL teams look into. Should we hire assistant coaches, offensive coordinators that have college experience offensively? Because the college game is a lot different offensively than how the NFL looks. And the Colts did that with Scotty Montgomery, their running backs coach. He had a big-time college background. They hired him, and he was pretty much in charge of their run-pass option stuff. You know, the RPO craze that you hear about. I don't think it's as big of a deal for Shane Sykin to dip into that pool, Jake, because Shane Sykin seems to be very open-minded to the college game. I mean, he mentioned it at his press conference on Tuesday. One of the first things they did when Justin Herbert became the starter and Jalen Hurts became the starter in those those respective stops was, hey, let's watch Oregon film. <laughs> let's watch Oklahoma and Alabama film. What does he do well or what did he do well in college? And let's implement some of that stuff into our own system. So to me, that looks like the T. Martin kind of background. But again, I don't think Shane Sykin is some, you know, stuck in his ways head coach and will not you know, explored the college avenue. Um, he clearly has already done that. May, may I ask a really dumb question? Sure. What is the responsibility of an offensive coordinator if they don't call the plays? I think it's a lot of game planning Just throughout to the week. Make sure that all plays that are called are in tip top shape. I think you are formulating a game plan for the week. You're running a lot of the offensive meetings, if not all of them, throughout the week as well. Um, and certainly you're a sounding board on game day as well. But I would say a lot of it has to do with the game plan and running those meetings. I would say those are the two biggest things. So in other words, biggest things. as the head coach is calling plays, it is your job to simply make sure, as the head coach is selecting what he wants to eat off the menu, it's your job to make sure that all dishes have been prepared the best way possible, right? Yeah, and I guess just you know, continue the analogy, like you know, making sure he's abreast of, hey, we're – running low on this item and by that i mean right okay hey this has worked out really well let's set this up for something in the third quarter you know things like that i would say that is where you're what you're looking into but again for me young quarterback history a different personality than steichen i think those are the attributes i'd be looking for the previous play calling experience eh, probably more of a luxury than anything the Let's go back to the defensive side of the ball. I mean, to me, that that side in terms of the coordinator, Kevin, is a slam dunk, right? It just retaining Gus Bradley. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably is. I, you know, I kind of side with Rick Venturi a little bit. You know, I think we, I thought the defense was was good last year. I, I don't think it was historically great. I, I don't think it was a unit that would have you know carried you in the month of January again it was thrown into some awful situations uh, but I would I don't think the defense affects the passer enough I don't think it affected the passer in critical moments enough and I certainly don't think on the back end 
it made enough plays on the ball, whether that was forcing turnovers or just, again, disrupting timing. That was an issue I had with the defense. And I'm just such a believer, Jake, that you don't force any coaches upon the new head coach. And I don't think Chris Boward would be doing that. And again, Shane Steichen has ample history with Gus Bradley. But if you want to interview other candidates, by all means, do it. I, I would assume it will be Gus Bradley. but Yeah, I, I would think that that's the case, right? We'll see on that. Is there Would there be any way that Coach Cooter, you, you could go with something like Casey Cooter? Is Jim Bob the best scenario there? <laughs> what do you think the other names were that just missed on the cutting room floor? Wasn't he, if I'm not mistaken... Jim Bob Cooter was an absolute favorite of Peyton Manning's, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh-huh. Do you think that's because his name was Jim Bob? I mean, you imagine. Well, you know, I mean, Jim Bob, you know, he did a great job, you know, coming up with stuff. And he loved him. He, he would imagine constantly the, talk about him. Imagine the jokes Peyton had with old Jim Bob. Yeah, he uh, was here in Indy from 2009 to 2011, so the final three years of Caldwell, I guess the final three years of Peyton, and then he went to uh, – Denver with him in 2013. Let me read you Jim Bob Cooter's resume, and you tell me. This looks like the resume from the better part of my career. You tell me what jumps out at you here, Kevin. You ready? You can stop me when you notice the pattern, or Mark. Okay. The the career of Jim Bob Cooter, who was a native of Fayetteville, Tennessee, and attended the University of Tennessee. He was a graduate assistant for Tennessee from 2007 to 2008. Offensive assistant for the Colts from 2009 to 2011. Offensive quality control coach for the Chiefs in 2012. Offensive assistant for the Broncos in 2013. Quarterbacks coach of the Lions 2014 and 2015. It doesn't stay anywhere very long. Although offensive coordinator for the Lions 16-17. Running backs coach for the New York Jets 18-19 and 20. Consultant for the Philadelphia Eagles 2021. Jacksonville Jaguars passing game coordinator 2002 to present. Thank you, Mark. I, I do think that's kind of the trend with a lot of these guys. I get it. I mean, if you, I, I guess. I mean, there's a lot of turnover. Like, for example, Caldwell got fired in Detroit. The Matt Patricia thing did not go well. So he moved he, on. There. He's the pencil fellow, right? That Matt Patricia. Is it Patricia or Patricia? I think it's Patricia. Yeah, he does the uh, windbreaker and the pencil. Yeah, and that didn't go well. Now, Mike says that Jim Bob Cooter's father is Harry Cooter. This weekend, you got did big you, plans. Did you see oh, that? I guess yeah, we're looking for jobs okay. now. Did you see that on the Wikipedia updating, page? Updating your resume? Is that what you're doing mm-hmm. this weekend, Mark? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll I'll be there with you at Kinko's, right? Did it mention the views parents? expressed by you Kevin Bowen do not reflect Avon? those of Jake Query and Mark Dykton or the fan. Tweets are his own. Yeah. Any mention of parents on their names, Jake? <laughs> okay, let's see here. Uh, no, I, I don't see the names of parents. Yeah, Jim Bob Cooter the third, you know, something along those lines. There, JB. Uh, so Jim Bob Cooter, T. Martin, the first couple of names we're hearing from an offense. Again, I think offensive line hire, if you want to talk about any offensive hire, that to me is uber important because you need veterans that need a kick in the ass and need to start playing like they get paid. And you need to continue the development of Bernard Ryman. A question I'm going to throw to Greg Gregshaw coming up here in a few minutes, Jake. I'll give you four names, okay? Matt Ryan. Nick Foles, Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly. Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, Kenny Moore, Ryan Kelly. How many of those are a Colt on April 1st? Um, maybe Kenny Moore. What's his deal? How long did he sign? He's got one year left. Yeah, um... I mean, you get him in a contract year, so maybe, you know. What if I send that to May 1st? Kenny Moore potentially traded to Chicago. No. Does Chicago, Chicago don't need him. Does Chicago want, does anybody want Kenny Moore? Chicago doesn't need Kenny Moore. They got he, had a, he had a really good year. Don't get me wrong, he had a really good year. And then as soon as he got it, he turned into kind of a pain. Right? The zebra flus think, hey, he had great success in my system. Let's get him back in it. I, or does, or does he think, you know what, this guy's a free agent at the end of the year, we'll just wait and sign him, right? Who from Philly's coming over with Steichen? 
Well, the, this is what we talked about earlier in the week. With Jonathan Gannon going to Arizona, you've got this crazy race in really three spots for Eagles assistant coaches. Nick Sirianni's going to want to promote some of those guys to take over for the two coordinators leaving. And Jonathan Gannon and Shane Sykin probably would like to dip into that Philly staff, who they're familiar with, and bring people with them to Indy and Arizona, respectively. Can I, can I throw a free agent at you that I think the... The Colts could land from the Eagles. Eagles got a lot of free agents, don't they? How about Gardner Minshew? He's been in Steichen's offense. Could help yeah. groom the young guy. Sign me up. Mm-hmm. Sign me up as a you know a, He's a, a solid backup, right? Yeah, nice backup. He's a free agent, like you said, Mark. Knows Let's the just system. go through everybody. What about Randall Cunningham? What's he doing? Can we oh, go through everybody that's Randall ever played Cunningham. in Philly? He's the QB one right now. That's right. Donovan McNabb. What's he up to? Throwing up on the sidelines again. A, I, don't know. I think that's a good name, Mark. Yeah. Yeah, Matt Ryan, Nick Foles, no chance they're here. Gardner Minshew make, makes a lot of sense to me. Ryan Kelly, Kenny Moore, I think you... You get I, the veteran guy that's been in the system, help groom the young guy. If he's got to step in for a game or two, he can. He knows the offense and what Steichen will be calling. Makes a lot of sense. Are you saying that, that Gardner would be a guy that comes as they plant the seed for the new quarterback right. and allows it to mm-hmm. grow? Okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I thought you were going to go with a Gardner-Cooter reference. No, no, I think we've exhausted. Have we exhausted that? No, we haven't exhausted. Well, actually, no. But in terms of our job security, perhaps. You definitely put us on the rocks here, Kev. <laughs> it's a team effort here. Let's not oh, one, throw out let's individuals. Speak for yourself. I got news for you. You might think I'm the guy that's going to go in the trenches with you, but you know what? I'm not sitting on any grenades. Yeah. Greg Rakestraw. I've been through the rigors. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Good Friday morning to you. 8 o'clock hours here. Greg Rakestraw joins us right now. We're getting into... Busy stretch here of the winter sports season on the high school front. A whole lot to get to with Rake. Rake, I didn't realize this. Uh, m- my wife used to coach junior high volleyball. We ran into one of her former players, and she's on the Chatard girls basketball team. And she's like, yeah, we've got two games coming up, or hopefully two games for semi-state. And I'm thinking, wait, wh- since when is semi-state two games? This was news to me, Rake. Flip the format this year. Uh, one game regional, two game semi-state. So they basically reversed uh, what they have been doing in terms of the IHSAA for the last 20 years. When we first went to class sports in 98, the first four years was a one-game regional. I remember those actually being midweek. And then it was a two-game semi-state. And the reason behind it is that you get 32 teams and 32 communities talking about making it to the semi-state round instead of 16. So it gets more teams to a third week of the postseason. And uh, we get to play at eight different venues across the state. Some more great gyms and facilities get used we get the boys draw on sunday is that right i have the boys draw on sunday yes sir nice you can hear that right here i believe that is correct five o'clock so the greg i know we've talked about this i mean in which class i guess i should say has which class has the biggest clear-cut favorite Ben Davis in 4A. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I say that, and two teams in their sectional, one in Southport took them to overtime. The other in Pike was beaten by four early in the year, both those games, in fact, within three days of each other, uh, November 30th and December the 2nd. Pike, or ben Davis kind of caught fire in terms of not just wins, but how they were playing from about mid-December on and have not looked back. But Ben Davis at 24-0 and with two games left to play is the obvious favorite in 4A. And am I correct in saying, Greg, uh, you know this, Greg Rakestraw is our guest. Obviously, you would know this better than I, which is why I'll defer to you on it. But it's my understanding that Ben Davis is really plays well together as a team. I mean, it's not like they have one guy that's carrying them. They are very balanced, fact or fiction. That is absolute fact. They do not have a single player averaging more than 13 points. And again, they are so reminiscent of a team from just five years ago in Warren Central. Uh, you know, Warren Central... Part of that team five years ago, two of those kids were the star players at UIndy. That's twenty-three and two. Uh, the majority of those Warren Central kids were Division two NAIA kids. The uh, the obvious exception is David Bell, now playing for the Cleveland Browns. 
but that Warren team went 32-0. and This Ben Davis team, depending on how the draw shakes out coming up on Sunday, uh, in their sectional, they could end up you know, playing three games. If they win those and win out, they would finish 33-0, and which would be the most wins ever in an undefeated season in the history of, of Indiana high school boys basketball. Again, it won't be easy because they play great teams every step of the way, but Ben Davis is truly a great team. There is not one guy they rely on. Wow, it's quite impressive when you put it in that in those um, uh, parameters based off the 33-0 and possibility. Greg Rakestraw is with us, ISC Sports Network. Rake, I, I usually ask this question to you, I don't know, maybe once every month. So I feel like now is a good time with the Selection Sunday less than a month away. Uh, let's throw the number of two and a half at you, over under two and a half teams from the state of Indiana to make the tournament. Over. Uh, obviously, Indiana and Purdue are in. And I think between Indiana State and Ball State, let's say that one of those uh, hopefully is able to back up their recent play by making a run in their respective conference tournaments. So let's say over. And both of those, correct me if I'm wrong, Ball State's been a little bit more consistent, correct? It doesn't seem like there's like a dominant MAC team. And in Indiana State's case, I guess I don't think there's a dominant Missouri Valley team. That is correct. Um, you know, and, and Indiana State has been very streaky. I think their conference math is that they won their first six, lost their next five, and have won their next six since that time. And they, not Ball State, but they, the Horizon League teams, uh, and the other Valley teams, all end their regular seasons next week because conference tournament play then starts the week after. The Mid-American Conference is kind of on the Big East, Big Ten, ACC schedule, where their conference tournament championship game in Cleveland is the you know Saturday, the night before uh, the uh, you know the selection Sunday. So it, it is ending quickly uh, for you know half of the teams, and from a Division One standpoint, the state of Indiana. I'll tell you the one that that fascinates me of those teams that we're just talking about collegiately, Greg. Let's go back to Indiana State. When they hired Josh Schertz as their head coach, I, you know this is a guy that didn't come from Division One, correct? But he won eighty-five percent of his games at Lincoln Memorial. I don't think anybody knew anything about him, and they had a rocky start a year ago. Um, you know, and Sherrod Klingscales went way outside the box in that hire. But I'll be honest, man, you look at it now, and it's like. It looks like he's putting something together there and that they have a pretty solid footing in the way they play. Well, coaches knew because, you know, the, the, the ultimate compliment that one coach will give another is the phrase, man, they run some really good stuff. You know, they, they do some things offensively and, and how they structure a team and how they run a practice that other coaches try to emulate. And I have heard that from multiple people about Josh Schertz. Secondarily, uh, what you are seeing is, is that now these mid-major to low-major jobs in Division One are taking more of a look at the guys at Division Two? Seemingly, those Division Two guys were kind of bumping their head against the ceiling, and the NAI coaches would also fit in, into that mold as well, that, that they would have these tremendous records at the small college level, but guys in the Division One ranks would not give them a chance. Well, now you're starting to see that change. For example, um, kind of a similar story. The record not quite as good, but close. Milwaukee, who has struggled mightily for the last decade, they hired a guy named Bart Lundy, who was at Queens, which is going Division One, but had racked up huge wins in Division Two. He's led Milwaukee to 16-17 wins, which is the most they have had in some time. Um, well, Josh at Lincoln Memorial was absolutely tremendous. And if you look at a lot of the talent base, that Josh is pulling from, I think there are six or seven guys on his, say, top 11 or 12 that played at the Division II level at some point in time. In other words, what Indiana State and Shark Clink Scales did was tap into a market that was kind of underutilized. You know, it's and funny, it's a matter too, Greg. of, okay, how do we create an advantage that others don't? And that's exactly I mean, what they've done in Terre Haute, and I'm glad they're getting rewarded for B-line, it. Beeline, you know, John Beeline, he's a guy that had success yep. like at every single – the division – and I guess eventually you kind of figure out, look, 
the game, the players might change, the the size might change, but the X's and O's are still kind of the same in terms of there's only so many ways to score the basketball. And And if you win a ton of games at three and two level, why wouldn't you win at the one level? And I'm so glad you brought that up because 15, 20 years ago, he was the guy that everybody would talk about. Like, if you ask coaches who one of the best coaches in the country was, it was Beeline. That's before I ever got to Michigan. I mean, that that was Beeline when he was at Canisius. That was Beeline when he was at at West Virginia, Richmond, et cetera. uh, Because winning basketball is winning basketball. The only difference is, can you figure out a way to get the players that you need to play that winning basketball. And in the era of the transfer portal, and in the era of space the floor and find guys that can knock down threes, seemingly more and more coaches can absolutely do that. Rick, maybe it's too early to have this conversation, and maybe you don't want to have it considering it's your alma mater, but is Paul Casaro <laughs> kind of on that track record? I mean, it's a, it's incredible what they've done this year. Yeah, 17 consecutive wins, 23-2, and two, in line to host the regional and, and the way that the postseason works at the Division II level, there are eight regional sites across the country, uh, and it is teams from a specific region that all stay within their region uh, to play there. UND was slated to host in 2020, and then COVID hit, and those games never played. The last time UND hosted, you got to go back to when, well, I was in college, 1997, 26 years ago. UND has three regular season left. They have their conference tournament left, but all signs are pointing to UND getting to host their number six in the country. If UND then were to win that regional, they would also get to play their national tournament-level games, the Elite Eight, also in the state of Indiana, because that takes place at the Ford Center down in Evansville. So things are setting up for the Hounds, and as far as Paul is concerned, I absolutely could see him getting a look. Now, UND is the alma mater. He is a Ron Colley guy, so being from the south side of Indianapolis has some pull. He was an assistant coach for John Kaufman at Purdue-Fort Wayne before he then took the job at the University of Indianapolis. So is Paul a guy that could get a look? Absolutely. What I will say is this. Guys like Josh Schertz, Bart Lundy, and others probably have won at a high level for a number of years. Yeah, 15 years, right? that opportunity right. for Paul. This is just his third year at UND and really their first kind of breakthrough year. Rick, let's shift gears to the Colts. And again, Greg Rakeshaw, ISC Sports Network, joins us now. Um, you know, in going back and listening to that press conference again from Tuesday, Rick, I thought something that really stood out to me is Jim Mersey made it very clear that the offensive background of Shane Steichen was a huge, huge factor in this. And I think we had a debate all throughout this long process of would they lean more towards leader or more towards offense. And obviously, you're trying to find a balance in that. But, you know, they, again, Ursay, I think, almost looks at it as we've had such a historically bad offense last season. We cannot afford for that side of the ball to kind of skimp, if you will. And I almost think that aspect stood out more than any other for Ursay in particular. That's awfully fair, and again, I partner it with you finally have to go the young quarterback route. And again, I understand I I can get the logic quickly of why every move was made from August of 2019 on. I tend to agree and say, okay, yep, I see why you're going that route. You have finally hit a point where it's like, nope, you have to get a guy at the top of the draft, whether that's at four, whether that's at one, whether that's at two, because I see different scenarios where you could get to those picks. Uh, but you have to go out and get your guy at quarterback and build young from the quarterback. And if you are going to do that, what you want to do is have a young offensive mind to pair with him, and which is why I thought Shane Steichen was the absolute perfect fit. You know, Greg, I mentioned this earlier to Kevin. If you were building – if you're a general manager – the two most important pillars, to use that phrase, that you need for stability within your organization are the head coach and the quarterback. And Chris Ballard is in a unique situation as a general manager in the fact that he inherited a quarterback that burnt the franchise and he hired a head coach that burnt the franchise a couple days later and then set him back to square one. Does it give him hesitation is part of the reason why it's taken this long to draft a young quarterback from Chris Ballard the fact that he knows he absolutely has to get it right and that that 
PTSD, for lack of a better phrase, is still there, not once, but twice. Dear God, I hope not. Because you, you, you can't lead an organization that way. Again, I, I, I think it's just a matter of people that were taken as free agents did, did two years. Um, the McDaniels thing, given what his coaching record was with, with Vegas this past year, you know, I, I think that worked out better for everybody involved. I realized by the time we got to year five of Frank Reich, it was time to move on. But no, in 2019, you did the best you could with Jacoby Brissett. In 2020, when I got Phillip Rivers, I had to think in my heart of hearts the Colts had hoped he was going to play for two years and not just one. What the Colts had in terms of draft capital and their available talent, the best answer was to try to get Carson Wentz thinking that Frank Reich would get the absolute best out of Wentz he could, and that didn't work. When Matt Ryan was brought in, I thought, you know what? Veteran upgrade. Again, you've got pieces all around. This is going to be great. And it wasn't, and the offensive line regressed terribly. So I think it's more circumstances or simply things not working out the way that you thought they were going to. I don't think there is any sort of fear uh, in terms of, I'm afraid to make a move at head coach. I'm afraid to make a move at, at, at quarterback. I don't think that's the case at all. Rick, I know he's not you know the most popular name among Colts fans, but when I saw that Brian Decker, who is kind of Chris Ballard's personality, character dude, the former Army Beret who Ballard hired very early in his process really to vet a lot of draft prospects, he's joining Frank Reich's staff in Carolina. Again, character when you're 4-12-1, clearly you have some issues inside of your locker room from a culture standpoint. But I would say when I saw that news... I was just surprised. Like, if you were going to tell me people that would leave the Colts to join Frank Reich, Parks Frazier was obvious. I would not have had Brian Decker, who, by all accounts, was a big part of the coaching search for Shane Sykin. I would not have had him second on the list. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting when I saw that, too. But I am far more concerned with the players on the field, the guys in the locker room, than those, per se, in the front office other than the guy that is making that decision in the front office. So, caught my attention as well, but uh, I guess I'd say I moved on quickly from it, Kevin. We, uh, Indy 11 announcement today, looks like unveiled renderings and May 2023 groundbreaking for the new stadium. That's just wonderful to see. And obviously the whole idea has been is that it's going to be a two-year process in terms of building that stadium and having it be ready because people have always asked, hey, I'm running up the stadium. Really, the last kind of bit of news of it was, was at the end of June. And the front office and ownership have kind of played it close to the vest. Uh, but I have told people, listen, the funding mechanism is there. Uh, the, the land purchase is there. It's not a matter of, of if. It's simply a matter of when. And today's news further cements that. Uh, are there any public dollars going into it? Uh, no. Uh, in other words, it's it's all from kind of tax revenues on the back end. So that's public dollars. Yeah, but again, I, Jake, that's above my pay grade in terms of explaining the mechanism. I'm a sports guy, not an economist. Uh, and so it's there, there's a funding mechanism, and I'm sure I can point you to somebody that can explain it better than me. If it's a user, my guess would be, Greg, that it is a user tax, and by that it means Correct. you are only Correct. taking tax dollars off of revenue that comes from directly that site. So if you don't use the Indy 11 Stadium, then your tax dollars are not going into it. That's there what, you go. like the Speedway had that, I know, when they did the renovations, the Speedway did what's called a user tax, which meant that if you are not purchasing items from the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, your tax dollars are not going into it. That's always been my thing, Greg. I have nothing against the Indy 11. When when we built the largest publicly subsidized stadium in the history of the United States of America in Lucas Oil Stadium, we were told as taxpayers that it was multi-purpose and it was one-size-fits-all and that everything would be able to go into it. And that's why we spent $720 million tax, tax dollars on it. So... I hope I certainly hope that there are no dollars that come from it except for the, those that are using it. And I realize that's right. out of your pay grade. Right. I believe that to be the case, but again, I have been further I've been much more studying the dudes that are on the team than the place they're going to play in 2025. Rake, have a great weekend, man. Thank you guys. Greg Rakestraw right there on the Payless Liquors hotline.
Um, again, just to the west, for those that have not followed the Indy 11 and the stadium project here, um, just to the west of Lucas Oil Stadium, um, certainly the funding of this project, Jake, is something that needs big-time discussion. No question. I, I do it's, think that's a part of downtown that could use a big-time injection I, of life. But I, Kevin, and I don't want to go off on a tangent that's going to PO people. I get it. I know people love soccer. I have nothing against the soccer. I I was a season ticket holder for the Indy 11. I have nothing against any Were you of in that. the Brickyard Battalion? I, was not, I didn't wear um, scarves or flags. Okay. We can get one from Tony Katz. But... I don't disagree with you that downtown could use a jolt, but you know what? It needs it in its core. 205,000 square feet of new office space when everybody's doing work from home still and the Salesforce tower right here is at like 50% occupancy. 195,000 square footage of new retail restaurant space when Palomino, empty. Champs, empty. Rock Bottom, empty. I could go on and on. Walk around right now. We're on Monument Circle. It's beautiful. I love the monument. I love everything about Indianapolis. You walk around downtown, it is a shell of what it was five years ago. And what this city needs to do is prioritize getting back the downtown inner core right now before all of a sudden deciding to grow and expand in other areas. Conventions that come to Indianapolis, areas that come to Indianapolis, we have the highest hospitality tax in the United States of America in terms of our hotel tax and our rental car tax because of the fact that we have to pay off the largest publicly subsidized stadium in the history of the United States. And that has caused conventions to decide to look elsewhere, Louisville, Cincinnati, Chicago. If you're going to pay 19% on your hotel tax, would you rather do it in Indianapolis, Indiana, or Las Vegas, or New York City, or Chicago for your convention? We are so, if you walk around downtown Indianapolis right now, it is such a sad state in terms of the economic affairs of the things that are depleting downtown Indianapolis that I just cannot possibly, if they want to do it privately to build this huge new complex for a 20,000-seat stadium for a team that's lucky to get 2,500 people per game and 90% of the people in this town don't even know when their schedule is, then they can do it all day, all day, every day if they want to pay their own dollars. Do not ask for a single penny from the taxpayers of Indianapolis that are not using that. And maybe they haven't, and maybe, and I hope they have not. If they have, then absolutely everybody in this town should jump up and down and say it is a total sham, a total sham, because if there's money that can be appropriated and raised for the people of Indianapolis and the city of Indianapolis and the restaurants of Indianapolis and the offices of Indianapolis, it should come within the inner core that people that are coming to this city and enjoying this city for years have enjoyed because it is becoming all of a sudden a a space downtown when you walk around that is a sad, sad, sad deterioration and reflection of what we've gone through as a country and as a city the last five years. And if you ask me for a single penny to support support something that is absolutely 1,000%, in my opinion, has a small, small, small percentage of people that are going to use it, then you're going to expect me to jump off the mountaintops every day about it. End of rant. Do we know that? No, well, I know that the... I mean, is it all user tax? No, I, I hope so. And, and and to their credit, again, I have nothing against the Indy 11 as a franchise and whatever else, but every single proposal that they've shown up until this point has had public dollars invested in it. Again, I want to make very clear before people jump all over me, it is not, it is not what they have designed that I have issue with. It is simply the fact of, I'm sorry, but you have to at some point, there are luxuries and there are necessities, and you have to at some point address your necessities before you address your luxuries. And if it comes to, when it, and I'm just speaking of public, I would bet you that there are tax dollars going into it. That, that's all I'll say. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. It's been a while since our next guest has joined us, Matt Taylor. Very gracious with his time during the season and off-season, so we don't bother Matt Taylor too much, but he did get a little one-on-one time with Shane Sykin earlier this week, so we figured a great time to get Mate back on the horn. Matt Taylor, good Friday morning to you, man. 
What's going on? Good to be back with you, fellas, and especially uh, better to be back on with some Guns and Roses coming back. Hell yeah. There you that. go, Matt. Nothing there says you go. pitchers and catchers for the Reds like Guns and Roses. We're going to win 27 Greatest games, ever assembled. Matt. <laughs> I think the I think the win projection total is like at twenty three this year, which is a step up from two thousand twenty two. Yeah, wait a minute, uh-huh. baby steps. Yeah, Matt, I don't know if we've gone over this before. Who will you, win more games? Are Pacers you a Guns N' Roses guy, Matt? I am. I am. Probably not as much as you because I've I've heard you talk about your, um, you know, your consistency over the years, seeing them multiple times. I've seen them one time, um, but I mean, I, Jake, I was. My my first two album purchases or CD purchases back in the day with my own money were Back in Black followed by Appetite for Destruction. Yeah, it's Appetite is so good, man. I mean, I realize it's a short win. Like, Guns N' Roses. No! It, okay, thanks. They're like the <laughs> Kurt Warner of bands, right? Like, it wasn't a long window, but, man, it was awfully good while it was there. <laughs> it's like CCR back in the day. They pumped out, like, five different number one albums from like 1968 to 1970. That's right. I'm right there with you. I mean, hey, let's talk about the Colts in terms of, um, you know, you never know when you hire a new head coach, right? Are you bringing in CCR or are you bringing in (laughs) Creed? You know, you never know. But your, your initial thoughts on Shane Steichen. Yeah, this is not. Um, yeah, this is this is not like a a '90s or early 2000s. This is like it's not like Fuel or some other like flame out crappy uh, alternative band here with Shane Steichen coming in. This is a guy that um, you know. This is like uh, this is some some really good you know like Rolling Stones and some some Beatles territory here. If you want to make a really bad music analogy, but this is a guy that's proven. I mean, he's 37 years old. He's been in the NFL since 2011, so over a decade, and he's worked his way up. I mean, he's he's had every title possible, even working on the defensive side of the football. And you know, he's OC for for three years, has had a really good amount of success calling plays and working with a lot of different skill players, working with a lot of different styles of quarterbacks. And I think just what he comes in, he's got a lot of experience with just different ways to get it done. You know, he's worked with a, a traditional pocket passer. He's worked with a spread guy turned into a play action guy, and Justin Herbert, and then the dual threat, just you know, incredibly athletic and mobility of uh, of Jalen Hurts, but also improving his accuracy along the way. So, uh, I'm just incredibly excited about what he can be within this offense because you know, just marrying Jonathan Taylor with his run schemes and his creativity, plus. Hopefully this offensive line can bounce back. I think there's so many different levels of optimism here, but for me, I just go back to Taylor and the fact that he's coming back. Hopefully he's healthy, can shake loose of that ankle surgery that he had about a month ago. Um, but, you know, you look at the Eagles' offense, I mean, they're number one by a wide margin in rushing each of the last two years in the NFL and, you know, over 5,000 yards combined since he took over in 2021 as the play caller. Uh, routinely, you know, over 150 rushing yards per game. So I like the fact that he's going to throw to score and run to win. I mean, that's that's a very modern-day NFL type of slogan. I love that, and hopefully that can complement what the Colts have in the cupboard with their skilled players on offense. Matt Taylor, voice of the Colts. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Maytay, the thing I was most interested about Shane Second on Tuesday was just what type of communicator would he be you know the offensive resume speaks for itself it's quite impressive you just laid it out there I mean very diverse from a quarterback background but boy once he got through the emotional completely understanding emotional part of the biggest professional day of his life when it came down to Q&A about football that dude was direct did not waste words um, spoke with conviction I, I feel like that leadership style that is one that resonates pretty well for a football team yeah, I mean, if you just watch the press conference and then you listen to him speak and then you listen back to the interview, where he's most comfortable is when he's just talking ball. And he he's a guy that I think, in, in short order, just getting to know him and researching him and, again, listening to him talk, he can process a lot of information in a short period of time. He's a very bright, intelligent guy. And that's why I think you feel comfortable with him coming in as a first-year head coach and being able to He's got to be able to handle the entire roster and handle the game management stuff, but also call the plays. And I think that's why he's capable of doing that because he's just really, really intelligent. 
And why, why wouldn't you want him calling plays when he's been so successful doing it with the Philadelphia Eagles? I mean, granted, I know they've got good players, right? They've got six pro bowlers on that side of the ball in Philly and, and Jalen Hurts and Smith and A.J. Brown, but there's still a guy that has to put it all together. There, there's only one football to go around, and, and he made it work, and he kept everybody happy, and he kept that machine humming. Um, so why, why wouldn't you want that to carry over here with the Colts? Now, that being said, he's going to have to trust himself with some people around him that he's confident in that can help him with the game management stuff, that he's not second-guessing them on the fly because the game happens so fast and you know there's only 40 seconds between the, you know, the, the play clock and all of that. But, um, yeah, he, he's just a guy that I think once he starts talking football, he starts picking up the pace of his speech pattern. He starts talking more you know, confidently, he starts to talk a little bit more loudly, and um, that's when he's truly in his element because he's just, you can tell, a football guy, a football lifer that loves to talk ball, and he's really good at it. Matt, when I look at this roster, I guess shifting gears a little bit here, obviously the quarterback draft pick speaks for itself, but if you're going to say, all right, Kevin, pick the most important player on the Colts roster for the 2023 season, non-quarterback, I would say Bernard Ryman. Who would you say? Yeah, I would say he's up there. I would say... And I guess, if make an amendment to my question, so apologies there, for this year and beyond. Like, if you can develop Ryman, you know, if you're going to rank the top five positions on a football team, left tackle's got to be somewhere on that list. If sure. you could cross that off with a third-round rookie contract draft pick... That mm-hmm. would do wonders for supporting the quarterback of the future and just in general the makeup of your franchise and roster moving forward. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. And hopefully, you know, I don't know if you at this point in mid-February before the, you know, the, the next off-season workout program begins, right? I don't know if you just get out the, the pen or the Sharpie and, and write in Bernard Ryman's name, but you definitely put it in in pencil because of the steps that he took towards the end of last year. And you know, we all know last year wasn't perfect for Bernard. It was far from that. He had his ups and downs. And again, quite frankly, those downs came in big moments, late in games. And, um, you know, he took his lumps. But he also puts, put together a nice little streak there towards the end of the season where, you know, he, he had some nice building block moments and the footwork got better, the IQ got better, the situational awareness of, of pass rushers got better. So definitely, yeah, left tackle's up there. I would also go and, and stay on offense and say just skill players and, and wide receiver. You know, does it make sense for the Colts to draft a young wide receiver, you know, high in this draft, either in the second round or the third round, to pair with potentially a young rookie quarterback to sort of just grow those two guys in terms of chemistry and and synergy for years to come. And I know they still got Michael Pittman. He's going into the last year of his rookie deal, so he would sort of qualify in that mold to help a young quarterback grow and to sort of just be that security blanket and and to know that you know you can always throw it to me and you know in, on possession type uh, downs and I can make a play for you. Alec Pierce obviously going into year number two. Jelani Woods going into year number two. But I think it makes a lot of sense to at least consider drafting another key skill player on offense to help take a lot of you know responsibility and, and shoulder um, or just you know I guess just take some of that. Um, he's going to be dealing with so much in terms of marketing off the field and pressure on the field. Just help that guy as much as you can with a young quarterback with with some skill players to throw the football to, rely on Jonathan Taylor, you know, throw the ball to Jonathan Taylor as well. I mean, Shane Steichen talked about that this week when we talked to him in our interview. You know, the tailback got to be your best friend as a young rookie quarterback if the Colts decide to go that route. So um, I think it makes a lot of sense to continue to develop Ryman, and hopefully he can turn into that cornerstone left tackle and then maybe draft another skill player to help a young quarterback breed confidence and uh, get off to a good start in his career. Matt, we uh, final minute here. We had Rick Venturi, your partner, on yesterday. He made this point. I, I agree with him. Um, of those that you're looking to re-sign, if you're Chris Ballard, in terms of free agency, I think the guy that probably might give you best return on investment and also, I think, just kind of proved that he's a guy that you can rely on to answer whatever bell you throw his way is Bobby Okereke. You agree with that? 
I do agree with that. I think it's just, unfortunately, I think it's going to be... A lot of dollars I mean, at linebacker. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, I think it just boils down to the health and the rehab of Shaq Leonard. Because if you have a healthy Shaq Leonard, you're not going to not play him because of the way he can you know, change the game and take the football away. Um, Zaire Franklin proved he can be an every-down linebacker. I mean, for crying out loud, he set the you know franchise record for tackles in a single season. So he earned a, a spot on the field, and he's under contract. So he'd be a, a, hard, a guy that's you know really hard to take off the field. H- how many... How many linebackers can you have? How many? You know, how much money can you invest at that position? Because you don't play with three linebackers on the field all that often. I mean, the NFL is primarily a sub-package league in nickel and dime. Um, so, yeah, it, it just boils down to the financials and the roster construction. It has nothing to do with Bobby, uh, you know, both both professionally and personally. I just think it boils down to where is Shaq Leonard by the time free agency rolls around. I think – you know he he's going to have some interest uh, outside of Indianapolis uh, with with teams that need a you know consistent proven every down linebacker. That's exactly who Bobby Okereke is. The guy to me, I, I think the highest priority guy for me in free agency is probably Paris Campbell because he proved that he can stay healthy. Seventeen game guy, and I still think you have untapped potential in him because of the quarterback carousel from last year. I think. He had a good year. He could have had an even better year had he had consistent quarterback play around him. So it's going to be really interesting when you look at Ngakwe, Paris, Okereke, Chase McLaughlin. Um, every year you've got high-profile free agents, but this year the Colts have some interesting calls to make with their in-house guys, and um, we'll see how it all kind of shakes out with the backdrop of what do they do in the draft and how do they um, you know, achieve quarterback stability. And the potential return of Yannick Ngakwe could, or excuse me, of Gus Bradley would be huge for Yannick Ngakwe's candidacy to return here to Indy. Mate, always good hearing from you, man. Hope the family is doing great, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on here in a few weeks. Yeah, likewise, guys. Appreciate it. Call anytime. Now, I'd like to know, Kevin. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. And I'll let you, when we bring in our next guest here on the Payless Sugars Hotline, we go back out to the city of brotherly love where John Marks works for now. Is it WIP Philadelphia or WIP? I'm guessing that it's WIP, right? Yeah. But there's a call letter missing there. sounds like a baseball stat that I'm unfamiliar with. (laughs) It kind of does, doesn't it? You know, he's he's ninth in the NL in whip last year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, people get into that stuff. Uh, John Mark's been a busy man this week, so we appreciate the time on this Friday morning. John, good morning. What's up, dudes? How are you? We are swell. Uh, Shane Steichen coming to Indianapolis. Um, From what you know about Shane, how big of a loss is that for the Eagles? Um, it's a big loss. The The fortunes of the Eagles changed last season when Nick Sirianni, their head coach, gave up play-calling duties, and Shane Steichen took over. And he, and I think he said this when he, when he was introduced to the media, when they asked what his offense was going to be like, he's looking at his personnel and his quarterback, and that's what his offense is going to be. He's going to fit the offense to what the quarterback was. And Shane, uh, Nick Sirianni was throwing the ball a ton, like a ton, and I think Shane Steichen said, hey, we have Jalen Hurts, um, you know, his weapon is his legs, so why are we throwing the ball 50 times a game? So they really changed their offense. They changed what they were doing, and they really based their offense on Jalen Hurts and throwing the ball, not throwing, not just throwing the ball, but running the ball significantly. And it changed the season last year. You saw what they look like this year with their offense. So, yeah, it, it, it's a big loss. I think, I think Shane Steichen brings a common-sense approach to what he does, and I don't know how that translates to being a head coach, but as far as an offense coordinator and what he did here, he was great. John, sometimes with coordinators, you know, in Indianapolis here during the glory years of Peyton Manning, if you will, you had Tom Moore, for example, who was kind of understated. I mean, and it was a different era. I don't know that we focused on coordinators as much 15 years ago as we do now in in the multimedia culture. But is Shane Steichen, when he, and I realize he wasn't there a long time in Philly, obviously, but 
is this the kind of guy that feels like the Bill Belichick, like the guy that spends all his time in the football lab and that's it? Or is this a dynamic personality that people will get to know? Um, a dynamic personality, I, I won't say that. I think Nick Sirianni certainly has a um, certainly has a, a, a bigger personality, right? Um, that doesn't mean that, that Shane Steichen still can't be a guy that the team looks at and says, that's our guy, like that's the guy we're playing for. And that's something that I think Nick Sirianni's biggest strength in Philly is the guys really play for him and the guys really relate to him. But Steichen definitely, I, I think everybody on the Eagles coaching staff, it's a younger coaching staff, there's really not a lot of older guys. You have uh, guys in their 30s and 40s, and I think it's very relatable to the to the, the the current day NFL player. And I think Steichen was a big part of that, right? Like, not about the ego, not about me, not about my offense. It's about you guys, and how can I get you guys? How can I put you guys in the best position? So I, I, I'm, I'm I'm excited to see what Steichen looks like as a head coach. Um, but as far as um, as far as bringing in a guy that seems to check all the boxes for what you're looking for in a modern-day NFL coach, I think Steichen does that. You know, one of the things that really interested me after the Super Bowl, John, is the fact John Marks is our guest on the Payless Liggers hotline. He's in Philadelphia at 94 WIP. The the Eagles and the whole stereotype, and I know stereotypes are dangerous, but Philadelphia has always been known as like the hard-nosed, you know, absolutely like kind of cutthroat fan base type thing. The Eagles lose the Super Bowl, and what really impressed me was that virtually every person within that organization that I saw publicly owned it. They didn't shy away from it. They just said, "Hey, you know what? We fell up. We fell short. You know, we 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 squandered a lead, et cetera, et cetera." There was accountability all the way across the board, and it seemed to me like the fans of Philadelphia embraced that and appreciated that, as opposed to being throwing snowballs at Santa. I know culture is a buzzword we overuse, but has that coaching staff kind of changed a culture within the organization and the way the fan base sees it? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think that they certainly have. And when you look at, like, for example, Arizona, the Cardinals, they just hired the Eagles' other coordinator, Jonathan Gannon, and his biggest thing going in there, yeah, you got to figure out Kyler Murray, and it's much bigger than culture, but it's also establishing the culture, right? It's also establishing that everybody needs to be pulling in the same direction, that there's one common goal, and if everybody in here isn't doing that, you're, you're never going to win like that. So um, everybody's pulling in the, in the same direction in Philadelphia, and part of that is, you're right, it's accountability. We, we watched the Eagles beat the San Francisco 49ers in the NFC Championship game, and literally for two weeks... I heard players, fans, broadcasters whine and complain about, oh, well, if we would have had our quarterback and we didn't have a quarterback and Jalen Hurts really isn't that good. Robbie Gould, the kicker, was saying, make Jalen Hurts play defense or make him play quarterback and the defense is going to have a great game, right? How about the Eagles defense knocked out both of your quarterbacks and you didn't have a healthy quarterback to play, right? Like accountability, you lost the game. The Eagles, accountability. There was a bad call at the end of the game. The turf sucked for both teams, right? No excuses. They owned it. They lost the game. And I think that really helps you focus into next year to where you're not satisfied. You're, you're mad that you lost that game. And Steichen was a big part of that. And the Eagles going forward, I think, really have, have it. And you hope that it's able to translate to Steichen and he's able to bring his program to Indy. And he's John Marks from Philly Radio. He's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. John, during the press conference on Tuesday, the question I asked Shane Steichen is what was the biggest thing you learned from your two years with Nick Sirianni? Obviously, we saw Nick here in Indy for several seasons, and he immediately said the way that Nick held everybody accountable from a player and coaching staff standpoint. Does that answer surprise you at all? And, and if any, what ways did you see Nick Sirianni bring that to Philly? Well, so just the the previous coach, Doug Peterson, was a players coach, and um, I think when you hear players coach, you think that he lets guys get away with stuff. And after they won the Super Bowl, I think that he did let guys get away with stuff. I don't know how hard they were being coached. So Nick Sirianni comes in here, a guy in his late 30s, who really he hadn't even been 
on on any hot list or uh, he he was surprised that the Eagles interviewed him. But he came in here and man, he coached them hard. I, I go to training camp, I see what goes out on uh, goes on, on out on the field, and I'm not telling you that that he's yelling and screaming at the veteran players. But when something needs to be said or done, Nick Sirianni doesn't I mean, he doesn't hold back and he coaches them hard and he holds everybody accountable. He holds the, the coaching staff accountable, but he does it in a respectful way. But you know, Sirianni's a hothead. He's crazy. I mean, he he can really get going at times. Um, but as long as as long as everybody understands that he's going to hold everybody to the same standard, then the standard has been set. And the fact that Sirianni uh, or, or that Shane Steichen is quoting that and he's saying that's a big part of the success that the Eagles are having. Now he just has to kind of do the same thing and going to a new team from day one, establishing that same that same culture. It goes back to culture, establishing that same culture and establishing that same standard and holding everybody accountable, it works. It works. Now you've got to get good players and everything else, but it's a good start, and it's something that, that definitely has worked here for uh, Nick Sirianni and the Eagles. You brought up Sirianni passing the play calling over to Steichen halfway through year one. The difference, I guess, would be Sirianni never called plays in the NFL until he came to Philly. Steichen has done it each of the last four seasons. And again, I'm not going to act like you know everything about Shane Steichen here, but do you feel like he is a little bit better equipped walking into this first-time head coach gig to manage all of that and call plays than maybe Sirianni was just because he can just because he has play calling experience from that standpoint yes um, but as far as does he know when to call timeouts does he right. is he good at the end of halves all that stuff as far as game management that that that's he's going to have to show that he's going to have to prove that there may be some growing pains in year one you know this is something that he hasn't done at an NFL level I think one of the other things with with Steichen and it's something that we talked about with Nick Sirianni if you remember he had a he had an, an opening press conference with the media after being hired and it was bad I mean he was bad up there he was mocked there were I mean, we still play the sound today, just kind of making fun of him. But that is not who he is, and that's not who he is right now. He had total command of the media when he spoke to him yesterday. But like when Shane Steichen addresses the team on the night before the game, right? That's something that Nick Sirianni excels at. He has a plan. He has a theme every week. He's a, he, Nick Sirianni's the son of a coach, a longtime football coach. And what's Shane Steichen like when he stands in front of the team? Do the guys really feel and really? really play for him and pull for him and does he connect with the players they're the things that I don't know the answer to but being that he came from Philly and from something like that that worked it can only help John this is either going to be a beautiful unearthed gem by me or you're going to be like what are you talking about yeah, never coming on um, radio ever again <laughs> uh, do you have the do you have the Indianapolis Colts backup quarterback tattooed on your body I do on my back that's correct Okay, now, now, and we're not talking about Sam Ellinger, just so people are wondering. Uh, so explain to me how, and, and I'm looking at a photo of a tattoo, and I'm not trying to dish your tattoo artist. It looks like Kurt Cobain on your back, but apparently it's Nick Foles. What's going on there? So I've heard, um, I've heard James Spader or Lenny Dykstra. Yeah, or, Dykstra, uh, I could see. Yep, Lenny good old Dykstra. nails. Yep, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a combination of those guys. All right, so check it out. In 2017, after Carson Wentz uh, went down with the torn ACL, the the city was completely freaking out because the one opportunity to finally win a Super Bowl, they were the best team in the NFL. We were right there. We were going to win the Super Bowl, and then we lost our star quarterback. And it's like, oh my god! And I put the city on my back, literally. And I said, you know what? The Eagles will still win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles. And when they do, I'll get Nick Foles and the Lombardi Trophy tattooed on my back. I said it on the air. I don't know why I said it on the air. And um, they won the Super Bowl. So you know what I did? Despite my wife threatening me with uh, with divorce, I got Nick Foles tattooed on my back. Or a guy that looked like Nick Foles tattooed. And it's not a small tattoo, guys. You can see the picture of it. Just Google it. Um, it's impressive, really. That I, is quite I mean, that's commitment, right? Good for you. And honestly, kudos to your wife. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, I'm, I'm an idiot. Like, wh- why, would I, why would I have done that? And then I made a, a similar bet with Bryce Harper in spring training last year, and I told Bryce when we interviewed him, I said, if you win, if you win the World Series, I'm going to get a, a, you tattooed on, uh, on my back next to Nick Foles. And the Phillies actually made the World Series. And there was a lot of, uh, a lot of issues with my wife during that period. But now, I guess, I guess luckily they didn't win. John, it looks like you have some beautiful daughters. Uh, what do they think of this? 
well, they're used to it now, but they used to ask me, I would, they'd be like, Daddy, what's on your back? And then, you know, we have to explain to them, oh, it's a guy that looks like Nick Foles, and who's Nick Foles? And But they know now. Hey, they know John. Now. Yeah, it's, it's, it's blippy on my John, look my at it this way, here. man. You were that close. Can you imagine? You almost had Carson Wentz. I, no, I well, you know what? I, w- I wouldn't have had to get a tattoo because we would have all decided that they were going to win the Super Bowl. Right. The other thing is that, like, I, I'm not, you know, with my shirt off, I'm not an attractive man. I have hair all over my back. I'm, I am, like, extra white, extra pasty. So even the pictures that are on the Internet of me getting the tattoo you, are uh Do you think most franchises would rather have Nick Foles permanently on their back or Carson Wentz permanently <laughs> on their roster? <laughs> Oh, Nick Foles, easily the former. Yeah, I think that's unison there. I think that's right. That's the only thing the NFL the can tattoo you can eventually get rid of if you need to, John. John, we will uh, we'll close things out with this. And again, thank you for the time. Going back to Sunday, uh, bigger play: the third and one false start right before the Jalen Hurts fumble, or yeah. the punt that led to Kadarius Tony's huge return. Oh man, and you know the the it, and it's something that I keep bringing up because everybody wants to focus on the fumble. If they don't have the false start, they likely at the forty-seven yard line. They're Casey's forty-seven yard line. They likely get a first down because no one can stop that that cheating play that the NFL is probably going to outlaw the the sneak that Jalen Hurts does. The, they call it the the tush push, I guess, where they just push him for a first down. Um, but the, I mean, the punt in that situation, the Eagles went three and out, and they punted a terrible punt, and. Then it takes them down to the five yard line and they get that touchdown. I'm going to go punt. Just and it was a different was punter, right? So Aaron Sipos, who, who sucks, he was with them last year, but then he got hurt. <laughs> There's so they brought, they brought there we go. Other guy who was worse, but then they brought Sipos back just for the Super Bowl. He was finally healthy enough to do that punt right there. I, I'll vote punt on your question though. Gosh, Most beloved play. Sixer of all time: Moses Malone, Julius Irving, Allen Iverson, Charles Barkley. Allen Iverson. Okay. Boy, yeah, Mo- Moses. Mo- I mean, Moses was Moses was almost forty years ago. Um, I mean, doc the doc is, is pretty big, though, right? Doc is doc. He retired in nineteen eighty-seven. So for somebody like me that grew up and and the eighty-three Sixers championship team was was like my team, and I love all those players. So I would vote Doc or Moses. But I think if you polled seventy Sixers fans, AI would be the answer. Okay, last question then, John. Is this every city has? Like when I worked in St. Louis. People outside of St. Louis would be stunned to know that, like, Willie McGee is like a beloved Cardinal that people put in the same breath as, like, Lou Brock and Bob Gibson. Right. So every city has that, right? I'm going to guess that for Philly, it's like Andrew Tony or like Wilbert Montgomery. But but who is the like athlete in Philly lore that is beloved that people be like, really? Okay. Um, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. It's not, it's, it's not, I mean, Andrew Tony is love, but we also haven't seen him for 30 years. He hasn't really been around. Um, I will say, uh, I just had a, a, a good one in my head too. Um, I, I would say Darren Dalton. Okay. I could see that. Yeah. It's similar to a Willie McGee. He was he was a draft pick. He was really had a, a terrible start to his career, and then he rounded in the form. And then the one good Phillies team that they had between 1983 and 2007, the 1993 Phillies, Dutch was the Dutch was the beloved figure from that, and uh, his teammates loved him. The city loved him. Women loved him. I worked with him many years later, and the the same uh, the same women that loved him in 1993, 15, 20 years later, were still showing up in the same clothes trying to date him so <laughs> mitch williams not on the list by the way kevin just in case you're wondering uh, john, john terrific stuff good luck to your back and uh appreciate the time <laughs> all right guys thanks